Welcome to Sex, Psychics and Psychedelics, Discovering Inner Liberation. My name is Banana Jane Garnett. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, a lover of freedom and a relentless explorer of the mind. Please come join me on my journey in hot pursuit of inner illumination and liberation. For more about me, you can find me at The Banana Jane on Instagram. Now let's dive in. My next guest is Alexa Vartman, who is an Australian tantric sexologist who founded the new Tantra in 2010. As a gender fluid person, Alexa embraces every kind of sexual expression in her tantric teachings, from light to dark, masculine to feminine. She has a knack for making Tantra a modern and accessible practice for Western minds of the 21st century. Alexa's book, 50 Misconceptions of Sex, contains most of her valuable sexual teachings from her extensive exploration and embodied tantric experience. Today, I talk with Alexa about womb orgasms, finding the state of Satori, unified consciousness through sex, and the advantages of transsexual porn, not to mention exploring the question, is the feminine ultimately what we all really want? Ladies, gentlemen, and all shades in between, I present to you Alexa Bartman. Alexa, hello, hello. How are you? Get to, I'm good. How are you? Am I going to get to see you in real life? Oh, no, I'm not dressed. Oh, come on. No, thank you. Yeah, I <laughs> I'm just going to have to look at myself. Can you see me? Yes, I can. Okay, well, that's that's half the battle one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wanted to tell you uh, a little story to get started about what I'm wearing. Um, it's my grandmother's negligee that she wore on her wedding night. It's been through oh, a that's... lot since then. <laughs> That's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. And um, I'd say Oedipal, but you're the wrong gender for that. Yeah, no, I know. I don't know. I don't know what the what the Freudian interpretation would be, but um it was actually given to my sister. My grandmother liked my sister more than me, and I was so jealous of it. Because to me, it represented the feminine. My grandmother was a romance writer. She wrote 52 historical romances, and they were all about these big-breasted women fighting in wars and just being really amazing. And I thought she was incredible. And so I wanted the negligee because to me, it was a symbol of the feminine that I couldn't get my hands on. Right. How interesting. <laughs> I don't know what you make of that, but I. But I was uh, reading your book. I thought, well, maybe we were all, uh, maybe we we're all interested in the feminine, really. I, I I have a theory on that, and I think um, it seems like the more evolved people get, the more interested in feminine they are. I mean, I think hmm. you know the feminine is uh, archetypally is energy, and um, maybe everyone is only sexually aroused by the feminine. Certainly, heterosexual men are. But most women, I think, you know, appreciate other women's sexual energy and beauty. And yes. maybe they only get, they get activated in their horniness by feeling feminine and taken and mm -hmm. desired. 
and the masculine is there that uh, invokes that and provokes that. Mm, mm-hmm. certainly, certainly true for me anyway, so maybe I'm projecting. But it's Well, a yeah, I, I, it's true for me too, but I think... Um, why not? Why not go with what's true for us for now? I mean, everything's subjective <laughs> for fuck's sake, right? I think, yeah, for me, it's polarity. The the man or the masculine position is what I get to feel my femininity against. Yeah, that that's exactly my viewpoint as well. It's the 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 sluttiness of the the feminine when she's mm. fully given, when she's not ashamed, when she's mm-hmm. in her full blooming. Um, fullness is, I mm. think, what is sexy, obviously to heterosexual men, but maybe also to, to women as well in themselves. So Yes, yes, that sort of letting go. And um, I was actually interested to uh, read about your reclaiming of the word slut, and I enjoyed that. And it's funny, a while ago I met this really edgy artist and she was making these really cool jewelry pieces that were like cunt slut and at first I was really like I didn't get it because it just felt cruel to me like the word cunt felt cruel and the word slut felt cruel and then as I've sort of explored this (laughs) this journey that I feel like you know we're taking whether or not we're interested in it you know collectively um this sexual revolution it makes a lot of sense to bring a lot of light to these shaming words. Um, do you think that we should reclaim all of them? Well, I mean, in the past, you know, they have been used as derogatory words and should not be yeah. used as derogatory words because they're they're very powerful words. You know, call mm. someone a cunt or a whore yeah. or whatever is, is a horrible, horrible thing to do and mm-hmm. should not be. Uh, now, obviously, women, when they get strong and independent, um, you know, Women are obviously as intelligent as men. There's a lot of scientific facts on that. We're at a stage now where strong women are able to reclaim these words and um, they're sexually very powerful words. I mean, mm. my experience, um, every woman, if she's, if she's honoured and respected and loved and cherished, you know, so on, there is a point where, you know, that will get boring. Um, if she's just got the nice guy caring and sweet all the time, it's, we all want that. But if it, that's all that's on the menu, it becomes rather boring and rather neutered. In mm. countries that are very developed, like Sweden's a very developed country, you know, there's a lot of very bored, strong women and very neutered men that are afraid to um, dance with the strong polarities. And to be honest with you, I've never met a woman when, I, when they're being honoured and you know, respected, that at the end of it, there's a yoga in the divine slut where a woman can, if she's to really let go, where she's she's to let go of her ego contraction, her kind of masculine head strength, there's a point where she really wants to, and, you know, it's a strong way of saying, but she really wants to be fucked like a dirty little slut and be allowed to act that out without shame. That is it's not a personal thing. It seems to be an archetypal energy um, in all sexually liberated women. They will eventually get to that point. And as I said in my book, every woman, when they do these final yogas, when they know how to orgasm on the cervix and the womb for five to 20 minutes at a time, every woman, in my experience, is built exactly the same. There is zero variation at that extreme level of yoga 
um, which very few women will ever experience. But every woman operates exactly the same. On the surface, there's multiple differences. But at the end, um, every woman seems to open up in that archetypal way. She's and, always um, a woman. She's always, she's always a woman at the end of the day. And that's why in some ways I can't, I've got a little bit bored with the kind of heterosexual sex of being the man and, mm. and um, fucking the woman open to God because once you learn the mechanics of it, once you learn how to really master sex, it's actually not that <laughs> complex. It's not very easy. I mean, it took me years and years. But it's actually quite simple. The uterus, the cervix, the way that it energetically opens up seems to be identical for every woman. And once you learn to put that key in that lock, Mm. um, it's actually rather simple. And that's where I think most men, they're always, they might think they're good lovers or something. But once you really learn to master the mechanics of sex, once you learn to, to be able to contain the fullness of the sexual energy that a woman produces, which mm. is enormous energy. I mean, most women are holding back constantly in sex and they're never yeah. able to fully let go um, because if they do, if they really open their, their sexual energy, it's like a waterfall and the man will, you know, ejaculate and spasm orgasm straight away and every woman knows then it's game over. So they learn to hold back or they don't know how to fully let go because right. they have armoring in the cervix and so on. But once they are able to let go, if the, if the man can take that energy through his body, circulate it through his whole spine and, and feed that back to the woman, you know, she can open into um, temporary enlightened states, satori states, rather easily, which there's no other real way to do except through ethanogens. Um, this is a natural way to do that, to really take a woman into the God domain. Um, temporarily for, you know, several hours at a time. And once you hear women go, oh, my God, that's the best sex that I've ever had. I can't believe that. I mean, I feel like the innocence of a child and the sluttiness of the divine whore, and that's the best sex I've ever had. And once you've heard that from hundreds of women, it kind of gets a bit boring. It's so funny. I I think, you know, in a nutshell, you're saying you found God and it's boring. Not, not, no, not, not, not that. <laughs> no, not, not at all that. No, that you found a temporary way to open those channels into mm-hmm. the divine sexuality. So the ego's interest in showing that you're a good lover, which I think nearly every man has in his core, is he wants to yeah. you know, prove to himself in the world he's a master lover. Now, very few men will ever get to yeah, that. Yeah, I, I get men that. Men are paid, you know, 10,000 euros or whatever. I get that. It's a very particular thing you're talking about, getting to the end of this kind of egoic journey with sex. It's like you've learned how to pull the string on the party popper. It pops. Exactly. That's it. Um, So that brings me to, I guess, the bit I'm more interested in, and this is, you know, I'm doing sex psychics and psychedelics on this this podcast because to me the intersection of the three is what's interesting, which is – how do we access neuroplasticity and then use that to create? I guess that's the aspect of sex I'm most interested in because it's sexual yeah. energy. And um, yeah, can we talk more about that? Like, are we accessing <laughs> neuroplasticity? How do we know that we're accessing it? And then what would be the optimal way to work with it? Well, you know, from the outset, let me state that I'm not a scientist. I'm lucky to have um, access to double PhD scientists and 
sexologists, people who do have a scientific background. So I'm mm. just repeating what they're saying. Yeah. And what I'm told is the fastest way and the most concrete way to get an example of neuroplasticity is rewiring the nerves um, that you can have sexual pleasure on. 99.9% of women um, are orgasming on their clitoris, which is mm-hmm. the pedendal nerve, and it's a very loud and strong signal. It gives that 5 to 10 second intense spasm orgasm in the yeah. clitoris. That nerve, the pedendal nerve, is the same nerve that men orgasm on through the penis. Um, pedendal actually in Latin means to be ashamed of, which is uh, very strange. Very we're fascinating, actually, yeah. We're actually learning shame through the um, pedendal nerve. And I think a lot of people, when they were children and they had their innocent sexuality and were playing doctors and nurses, didn't really experience shame until we started to orgasm in that, you know, pedendal nerve orgasm. And, you know, I'm not anti-clitoris by any stretch of the imagination, but that particular orgasm, it stops any other deeper orgasms and women can have seven different kinds of orgasms. Uh, six other different kind of orgasms, it it blocks the ability for the other nerves, the the pelvic floor nerve, the vagus nerve, the um, these other nerves in the body from being able to receive those signals. So we always say women have a hiatus from the clitoris at least for a year. Um, just stay away from the clitoris, um, and that that's a recommendation allow- to stay away from the clitoris. Yeah, and that that will fairly quickly allow the neuroplasticity of the brain to rewire itself and to to be able to feel like the hypogastric nerve um, and be able to create a lot more intense and sustainable pleasure without any downside to this other short orgasm besides Mm -hmm, shame, there's mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. kind of um, effects that it has on the body, which it may be the reason that the... um, vagina is kind of hardened and there may be pain in the cervix. There's not meant to be pain in the cervix. You're not actually meant to have pain during childbirth. Something is wrong with the women's reproductive system that creates that pain. Um, you know, for people who are, you know, into reading the Bible and things, it's actually written in there, you know. Eve ate from the Garden of Eden. She ate the forbidden apple, the forbidden fruit, the tree of knowledge, and knowledge is the same word as sex in the Bible. She ate from the forbidden fruit from the tree of sex and therefore she'll have pain during childbirth for, for all eternity. And the man should walk around like a hungry ghost, never being able to fulfill himself. Sweet Who deal, huh? That's true. <laughs> Sweet <knows> deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we really have, uh, we have either set ourselves up or we've been set up. There's definitely a joke at the heart of all of this. And I must say, I really appreciated the the humor in your book, um, because I do think that that uh, certainly exploring in sex, uh, you want you want to keep your sense of humor or exploring in anything that for that matter. But um, but yeah, back to this. So so if you get into if sex is a way of getting into a state of neuroplasticity, I understand your angle, which is um, pursuing pleasure, right? Helping people find ways to kind of really uh, extend and grow the pleasure journey. I guess I'm taking it to this, the uh, question of could we use sex and sexual energy to rewire our thinking or to manifest or to grow particular things? What do you think about that? 
Well, first of all, I just to correct you a little bit on the pleasure thing. Mm. No, I'm I'm not just about hedonistic pleasure. What mm. I'm about is controlling pleasure and not going for instant gratification. It's easy yeah. just to rub one out and you know, yeah. get five seconds of pleasure. That's what I would call more adolescent or infantile sexual um, impulses. You know, just to broadly with a paintbrush. Um, insult basically the whole of humanity's sexual current practices. Um, it's a very low level. I mean, humans are operating yeah. an extremely low level of sexuality, and there is no blueprint up to this time of how to allow deeper um, development of humans through sexuality. Just going for instant gratification is not the answer if you really want to grow yourself. You have to be able to delay that pleasure and not go for the instant gratification. There can be a yogic use for porn, for example. So um, one way is through the technique of edging, which is people that are visually um, stimulated, which is majority of men and, and you know, certainly women, but less so generally, mm. um, you, know, you can find porn where the people are really enjoying it. I mean, I being a gender fluid person, you know, for me, the only sort of porn that I ever interested in is transsexual porn because generally transsexual women do not have the same shame that women have around being slutty. You know, mummy never tells little boys, don't be a slut. You know, it's, it's manly for the boy to go out and conquer and sow his oats and so on. So the transsexuals mm -hmm. don't have a lot of shame often around sex so they can actually really enjoy it and you can see with the transsexual if they're enjoying you know being fucked because they have an erection right mm -hmm. so you can see if they're really enjoying it now to watch porn like that where someone really is enjoying it edging is about you know masturbating to that sort of porn and then getting closer and closer to that point of no return without going over the edge mm -hmm. so for you know a guy or a woman rubbing her clitoris you can you know, stimulate um, the pedendal nerve and get closer and closer and get used to building up the capacity to feel that sexual energy through your body and disciplining yourself to not, you know, take that instant gratification. Yeah. So that yeah. can be a yogic way to um, use porn in a healthy way. Okay, just to clarify, and that could be whether you're doing it alone or in a couple. Yeah. Sexual <laughs> yoga is about the capacity to build up sexual energy and move that energy from mm. the front of the body where it gets stuck and move it backwards towards the tailbone. And if you've got your spine sexually activated, which the new tantra does in its level two courses, um, then you can move that sexual energy up the spine. It happens actually by itself. And the key to doing that is to make sure there's no sexual blockages or tight areas of the body that can't feel sexual pleasure. And for most people, especially men, that's the anus. It's, mm. You can't feel sexual pleasure in your anus. Sexual energy cannot move backwards, get stuck in the front, you get sexually frustrated and may even create problems long-term just having it energy blocked in the front of the body. Wow, this is so fascinating. I feel like there's so many things I'd like to talk to you about. Can you tell me a bit about your journey into gender fluidity or into identifying that in yourself? Yes, certainly. I um, grew up in Australia and, you know, a very homophobic country mm. um, as a straight Australian male and was very into women and 
I mean, I was kind of obsessed with women. I would, mm. would used to walk up and down the airplanes looking for beautiful women to make an excuse to sit down. And, um, and that's, you know, I've always been interested in meditation, spiritual things. I started mm. meditating when I was 10 years old. Wow. And I've always been interested in sex. And that's why it became interesting for me to find out Tantra and how to marry both of those things together. So um, I then started my tantric journey, went to India, studied, studied with a lot of the um, most respected people in the world um, on Tantra. And after a few years, I started to be able to master it and, as I mentioned before, get to a point where I could move sexual energy in, in women fully, where they could fully open, have womb orgasms, which is the um, deepest orgasm that we've found, which is basically the full body orgasm, the womb orgasm, where the vagina will be doing very specific um, things. It will be contracting and bellowing. It will be farting and expelling air. Um, it will be also so often softly ejaculating on the penis. Um, the woman will be often rolling her eyes back in her head, often in satori. I mean, it's a very, very intense orgasm, womb orgasm. When you say satori, can you exactly that for the audience? It's a temporary enlightened state where you lose the feeling of being stuck behind your eyes in separate consciousness mm -hmm. and um, you don't have the um, that horrible feeling of always feeling separate from the world around you. Yeah. You feel and you can actually sometimes even subtly see it as if your consciousness behind your eyes is not separate from everything you're seeing and it feels like you're looking at yourself and when you look at someone else in their eyes, often you'll see this infinite blackness behind their pupils and it'll feel like you're talking to another form of yourself. It's kind of like you're in a dream mm -hmm. where you are the dreamer of everything and you can kind of recognize yourself as in everything in the nature and the, the material around you. So that's a, a Satori. That know. makes me think of this phrase. I don't know where it comes from, but it rattles around the psychedelics community, which is if you die before you die, you won't have to die when you die. Da, da, da. Um, so, so yeah, I guess, well, orgasms and death have always been um, uh, closely allied, haven't they? The Le Petit Mort. But I guess you're describing le a petit, bigger version petit of Le Petit Mort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so I want to go back to, I thought it was really fascinating that you said you kind of, you got to the, the there, there. Oh, the yeah, I the didn't punch. finish my story. Oh, sorry, sorry, excuse me. No, no, you're right. Yeah, I didn't finish the gen, I didn't get yeah. to the gen. Okay, we've got we've got a few we've got, got sidetracked. Right? I know there are too many good bits. Okay, you go, yeah. you go. So once I'd kind of done that, I kind of got a bit bored with the heterosexual thing, mm. um, and then I got more interested. Like, okay, so I've kind of to whatever degree I feel like I've plateaued um, mastering my masculine energy. Now I'd like to kind of get into more my feminine side. Now, that was quite interesting, you know, being a heterosexual guy, um, that I found that, ah, I can actually feel a whole different spectrum of energy being feminine. So I'd experiment with clothing and things. Mm. And I found, ah, I can get horny in a different way going into my feminine energy. So I experienced that, you know, dressing up and being with women and um because I always has an interest in lesbian sex, which most men have an interest in uh, mm. you know, watching lesbian porn. Most women um, masturbate to girl-on-girl um, -girl lesbian stuff. There's very, very few that don't. It's, a, it's a 2 or 3% that don't. But women never talk about it to each other because of the shame of that. 
Um, right, right. So, you know, then I thought, oh, I've always liked watching lesbian porn, but I'd much rather do it than just watch mm. it. So then I found that, you know, I would kiss different, I would be sexual, I would touch different. It was much slower, much more sensual in the whole lesbian energy. And after a couple of years of that, then I'd found that, okay, um, what if I practice with men in my feminine? Now, being a, a straight guy, I wasn't really attracted to the male form. Um, but what I found is, which we touched on earlier, mm. I could get horny on my own feminine mm. in juxtaposition to the man allowing me to feel more feminine. So I found I could get very horny um, with with men being feeling more feminine um, through their presence and through mm. their sexually interacting with them. The whole idea of surrender, you know, mm. for me, I'm, as a man, if I go clothes shopping, it's like, you know, buy a pair of jeans in and out five minutes, you know, that's a good shopping thing or, you know, three or, three or four pairs of shoes. But in my feminine, you know, I have, in, I have so many dresses and earrings and shoes and mm. because the feminine is a spectrum whereas the masculine is always about depth. Yeah. So I found it was a whole totally different world to be in the feminine. And for me, it's, it's much more interesting. Um, and just from a purely mathematical point of view, you know, it's, very, it's much more fun being bisexual because all of a sudden, you know, one is, is half as good as two. You've got twice a bigger pool of people to um, be able to play with. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. When I first fell in love with a woman, which was a surprise, I was uh, 39 and um, it opened so much up for me. And um, one of the things that made me laugh about it was exactly what you were talking about. It was like, oh, well, not only is it double in the sense of like there's this whole, whole other part of the population that, that is potentially online for you in this way, but well you know, I don't want to reinforce a horrible cliche, but like men in LA, you know, and then women in LA, you know, so right. you've got, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's sort of in a way exponentially more choice. If, if you go with this, if you find the female body beautiful, then yeah, that's, that's um, exactly. And that, so I mean, I call myself polysexual because I'm also attracted mm. to transsexuals as well. So I then see, you've yeah. got, and that, that kind of sex is completely different to the other two as well. So there's a there's a smorgasbord, there's a plethora mm. of different opportunities, but it's all about transcending shame. And mm. that's where you know, sexuality can have a you know, spiritual component in that it allows you to relax the self-image. Like me as a heterosexual man, that's a certain self-image or, or ego, right, compared to me as a gender-fluid, um, person is a different and yeah. being able to flow between those two um, somehow kind of loosens the ego in some way that you don't have this rigid self-image about oh ourselves. God. So, I mean, it's so much more playful. Um, I was just thinking, you know, there's no way of really knowing who's going to listen to this podcast, but I, my guess would be that a lot of people who are going to listen to this are not necessarily going to go out and become full-time Tantra students, but they might love to read your book and they might love to just take away a few tips from this. And I felt that that, yeah. that uh, tip about 
edging, whether it's in masturbation or in a couple, felt like a that felt like a kind of a user-friendly piece of tantra. Is there anything else you'd like to sort of add to that as a kind of like easy to access tip for the listener? Yes, I would say the most useful, and especially for women, um, is to get their vaginas de-armored. Most women have a lot of numbness in the vagina, which doesn't allow them to really feel the the penis without friction. You know, using friction during sex, we call friction only sex is for beginners. It's for people who who don't know any sexual yoga. There's a numbness in the vagina, which can be taken out, you know, in half an hour through pressing the sides of the the muscles in the vagina, um, pressing out all the sore and numb points. Um, That can be fairly quickly done, and it only needs to be done once, maybe two or three times, maximum three times. The other part is the cervix, which most women will know if you have a penis bash against your cervix is very painful. Mm, mm-hmm. um, that pain can be taken out quite easily as well. It seems that women store yogically any traumas. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be sexual abuse. It could just be the stress of being having to work in a man's masculine way a lot. Yeah, um, seems to get focused on the cervix and create a hardness and even a painus on the cervix, that can be taken out fairly quickly, about five to 10 minutes um, through having it de-armored or actually squeezing of the cervix and allowing the woman to express through kind of weeping and crying or screaming um, to get that out of their body. And then the cervix can become extremely horny. And then you can orgasm through things like the G-spot, through the cervix, through womb orgasm, through the full body orgasm, in way more pleasurable ways that you can feel for days afterwards and allow, allow the woman to be more in her feminine and not so much in her masculine energy in a way that she doesn't want to be. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, the most useful, easy takeaway um, thing to do for women. It's all written in my book, How to Do That. Yeah. And for the men, it's um, getting over the shame of their ass and um, learning how to de-armor their ass, which is about width, not depth, um, to get the elasticity back in the anus and allow to feel pleasure in the anus because you can learn a lot. I mean, I learned basically about how the feminine wants to be fucked through being in that position. How, how do I want to feel surrendered? How do I want to feel, feel taken? And then, you know, women can also de-armor <laughs> their own anuses, you know, and then you've got three holes operating instead of two if you want. And a lot oh of God, women. I, I'm going to have so much to tell my girls at dinner tonight. Right. Exactly. <laughs> how long do you think they'll sit with me for? <laughs> well, maybe wait till the food's over. We'll talk about ass de-armoring. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Well, I'm actually with them. I've got to the stage where they don't. Well, the little one who's ten still wants to talk about sex, but the fourteen-year-old, like it's it's over. And I'm glad that I, I'm glad I sort of slipped as much sex talk as I could in, you know, to her to her childhood up at this point. To to right. Once once they get once they go through puberty, there's the whole sexual shame. Once they start orgasming on the clitoris, whatever, the whole sexual shame thing starts, and they don't want to talk about it. So. Yeah, I'm all for, um, you know, if the child wants to know, to answer their questions honestly and and because kids have a, you know, kids are brought up without shame. They have a natural, you know, curiosity. And I I remember, you know, playing doctors and nurses and a lot of people who play doctors and nurses and things, they play with both sexes. 
it's about 98% will actually play with both genders. It's only yes. later that you're shamed into only the opposite sex. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you before we wrap about Dada, David Dada, because you trained under him, didn't you? Yeah, I did quite a few of his workshops and things, yeah. Because he was sort of really the, I guess he was kind of the main guy in this space. It's hard for yes, me to handle on that. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I, I think his books are, are great and he certainly yeah. um, got to mainstream, you know, some of the very important masculine and feminine things in the three stages, I think, is, is very interesting work that he's done. Yeah, I yes. mean, a very intelligent guy. I've got a lot of respect for David. Yeah, I agree. And I must say I enjoyed his first book, Wild Nights, so much. It made me laugh so much. It's sort of like, I guess it was 70s, right? This sort of 70s. Oh, sorry, 80s. 80s orgies on a Greek island. I was like, damn. Well, no, it wasn't a Greek island. Oh, was it? The main character is called Mykonos. Okay, so that was was my fantasy. In California and Hawaii, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Still, California and Hawaii, you know, cosmic orgies. It was pretty good stuff. Um, but wait, yeah, one of my favorite books. Love that. Yeah, it was amazing. So, um, but you also trained under Mykonos. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to talk too much about this stuff because these guys are very secretive, and I, okay. I, would, I respect their privacy, so I don't want to comment too much on all that. All right, sure, sure. Um, okay, well, this has been great. I um, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add. I feel like you've left me with a lot to think about. And some homework. Well, yeah, it's all fun. It's all fun. So very nice to talk to you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Lovely talking to you as well. Thank you, dear. Speaking with Alexa reminded me how much I love talking about sex. I felt I had to ask myself this question. Do I prefer talking about sex to actually having it? And if so, is there anything wrong with that? It seems like the question of sexual shame crops up everywhere we look. Maybe shame is just the yin to the yang of sex. So maybe we can look at shame as the gradient we have to work with. It's the hill that we have to climb. It's the place that we can grow. Certainly food for thought, and I appreciated Alexa's level of openness around topics that can be quite confronting. I hope you enjoyed. I look forward to the next journey together.